Welcome to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information regarding New Hope, visit newhopecom.org. I've got three main parts to this message. We might not do it. I don't know. How, we'll, we'll see how we go. But there's two main, two main issues I'm going to touch on, and then I'm going to give you like an illustration of how to interpret the book of Revelation. We're not going to interpret the book of Revelation. I'm going to look at one issue in it and give you an idea. Once you get that, then you can apply it elsewhere. Um, we'll also hopefully do some questions and answers at the end. Uh, there, um, there may be a couple of issues. Jonathan, can I defer to you on a couple of issues? There are some things that Jonathan is wrong about. So... <laughs> Harold's not here. I would pick on him if he was here, but he's not. There, so there, there will be, I'm, I'm sure you're, many of you will be familiar with this subject. Jonathan's written extensively and taught extensively on it. It's a couple of minor things that we might see slightly different, but the overall picture's the same. So if we get to, because you, you're probably used to his teaching, if, you, if, if we get to a, cu- a couple of those issues where there might be a minor difference, I'll point that out. I don't care which one you but. I don't care what you believe, okay? <laughs> you can believe whatever you want. I'm going home to Canada, and it won't affect my life at all, okay? Um, so, but I do encourage you to think. God gave you a brain. When you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, He didn't take your brain out and throw it in the trash. Many people believe that. Um, I don't need to think anymore. The Spirit tells me everything, you know? No, it doesn't. You need to think. And here's another thing. You are allowed to think for yourself. And here is the shocker. I will not lose any sleep if you disagree with me on something. We won't fight on Facebook about it or anything like that because here's the bottom line. You have, the same as I have, a puny, tiny, finite human brain that is practically, that that took us an hour today to work out how to connect my laptop to this. That's how dumb our brains are. So if you think you understand God and the Bible in all of its fullness, here's my suggestion. You put on a seminar and we'll come and hear what you've got to say, right? But you don't, and I don't, and we will always be learning, and we will always be growing, and we will always be ditching old stuff and embracing new stuff. So, so you're allowed to think for yourself, and, um, and I'm just encouraging you to think through some of these issues. So we're going to do a seminar-type thing this morning. I want you to look, my, my two main subjects I want to look at are, are we living in the last days? What are the last days? And secondly, I then want to show you that Jesus' major prophecy, which you'll find in Matthew 24 and 25, um, what the what the, um, what's the word, the kind of timeline or the, the order that that is put in, I want to, sh- to show you that, and I want to show you how the book of Revelation mirrors that exactly, okay? So, are we living in the last days, and then the timeline of Jesus' prophecy and Revelation's prophecy, what is going to happen immediately, what's going to happen over a long period of time, what's going to happen at the very end, okay? And, and then, I'll, then, if we've got time, I might just show you an example of 
<clears throat> like, I don't know if what's been taught here, but have you taught the whole Nero thing? Like, if I did Nero, Nero okay. Right, okay. So, well, maybe we'll, we'll look at Emperor Nero and, 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 and so on as a, an example of what the book of Revelation is talking about, and then you can apply it to other issues too. Um, then we'll, we'll do some questions and answers. Tonight, we have something on tonight, don't we, with worship and everything, more like a service type of thing. So I'm going to talk tonight about the advancing kingdom of God, and it's going to be a bit more preachy and exciting, and, and I'll drink a lot of caffeine before I come, and all of that, and we'll jump about the platform and shout glory to God and all of that. But I'm not doing that this morning, okay? And then tomorrow morning, I'm not going to do anything about the end times or the last days at all. I want to speak to you about an issue. I recently spoke at my own church just a few weeks ago, and like I got such good feedback from it. Um, it's not even theological. Shock and horror, it's common sense. So, you don't hear that in a lot of churches. So, we're going to do a common sense message on Sunday morning so that you can, because I don't want you walking about all week with your head in the clouds, oh, the Antichrist and Nero. And I want you to live the Christian life this coming week. Okay, so we need to have something put into practice. Right. Do you all understand my accent yet? Yes. Okay couple of glazed expressions, but that's all right. Okay, are we living... Oh, well, let me do an advert first. I brought some resources. We're kind of phasing out CDs, so I didn't bring CDs. So we, we do little USBs, which are actually better value for money, because you get, we get four CD sets on one of these. I know most cars nowadays, you can just... You can plug it in your car, plug it into your computer. You can make your own CDs. You can sell them. I don't care what you do with them on eBay. Right, but so this, this is my eschatology one. There's not many of them left, and it has four message series on it. One called Revelation Generation. What the generation was the book of Revelation written to? And it, it, it gives you a, an overview of the whole book of Revelation. It was either six or eight parts. There's one called Signs in the Heavens, which talks about um, all the astro astrological, if you don't like that word, astronomical horoscopes. If you don't like that word, I'll give you the Hebrew word, Mazaroth. Uh, what all of the constellations which are referred to in the book of Revelation, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Job, the book of Genesis, a lot of places, what, they, what their purpose is and what they mark out and, and so on. Um, Dear Lord in heaven, what does that say? <laughs> oh, the letters of John. You know, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John? You say, what's that got to do with the end times? Quite a lot. 1 John and 2 John are the only books in the Bible which use the word antichrist. Now, I know that comes to a shock to a lot of people because they think it's the book of Revelation that talks about the Antichrist. The book of Revelation doesn't mention the word Antichrist not one time. No, the book of Daniel doesn't. First and second Thessalonians don't. Jesus doesn't. There is only two places where the word Antichrist is mentioned, First John, Second John, and he tells you who the Antichrist was. And it wasn't Obama. <laughs> so, so that's that one. And then the last one is uh, Victoria's Eschatology, which is mainly Matthew 24 and 25 and so on. So that's the Eschatology one. 50 bucks. 
If you bought four CD sets, I think they were 20 bucks each, that's 20, 40, 60, 80, you've just saved $30. It is good, isn't it? Right. And what's this one? This one is called New Perspective, Seeing Life in a New Way. And the four series are called Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. Um, I, I once heard uh, John Maxwell. You know John Maxwell, the leadership guy? Um, I better keep my eye on the time because I could just talk about anything and then we would run out of time. I heard John Maxwell once, it, it was Joyce Meyer was interviewing him on the TV, and she said to him, what do you think the most important message is? He says, well, after you're saved, after you're born again, after you know for sure you're going to heaven, he says, the most important thing that anyone can learn to do is control their own thoughts. Most church splits are nothing to do with doctrine, they're to do with emotionally unbalanced people, right? Most relationship problems are to do with the fact that we believe our own lies, okay? So, change your thinking, change your life. Then the second one's called, what the heck's that called? <laughs> Different than you think. This was one of my, that was one of my favorite message series. But, so, we, we looked at like, God, God is different than you think. Jesus is different. Do you know Jesus was not a poor homeless refugee? If I see someone else on social media saying that, <laughs> it is not true at all. So Jesus was very different than we think. Jesus taught twice as much about hell than he did about heaven. No, he didn't. He didn't. I think Jesus mentioned it three times or something like that. And it wasn't hell, it was Hades. But anyway, so buy it and you'll find out. Jesus is different than you think. The Bible is different than you think. I can't remember, but I think there's about six or seven or eight things that are different than you think. Okay? Um, Epiphany. Epiphany um, was a message series about, I think, about six subjects that at some point in my life I had an epiphany about, you know? Um oh, duh, I've just realized that everything I thought about that topic was wrong. I've just suddenly, my eyes have been open and I've seen it. And this is one of them. Because I used to think the last days, we're living in the last days. In these last days, we must prepare ourselves for what is coming upon the world now in the last days. And then one day I had an epiphany. And I found out we don't live in the last days. We will never live in the last days. The last days are not ahead of us. The last days are the past days. They're behind us, as we're going to see. So, and then the last one is called ink blots. You know, like, you go to the shrink, and he shows you an ink blot, and says, what, what do you see? And they all look like a naked woman. Have you ever noticed that one? <laughs> so, I'm joking. <laughs> they all look like butterflies to me. If they all look like a naked woman, you're at the shrink for a reason, okay? Um, they all look like butterflies or something. But people look at them, and when people look at them, someone says, oh, I see a butterfly. And someone else says, I see an, an axe murderer chopping someone up. And he's like, what? How can two people look at the same thing and see something totally different? How can two people read the same passage of Scripture and see something totally different? Because we don't see things the way they really are. We see things the way we really are. Negative people see everything negative. Positive people see everything as an opportunity. 
okay? And so that, that Inkblot series is all about learning to just change the way you see things. You know that old saying, when you change, how does it go? When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, okay? So anyway, that's the adverts over. Are we living in the last days? No. Let us go home now, okay? We could, we could go home, but I have to prove it to you, so let's have a little look. Um, the last days. Let's, next slide, please. The last days does not mean the last days of planet Earth. It means the last days of the old covenant. So many people, when they hear, when they read the Bible, in the last days, God will do this. They think, well, last must come at the very end. Well, that's true. But the end of what? So um, I could say to you, last year, I did such and such a thing. Is last year in my past or in my future? Well, I need audience participation here. Okay. Is last year the past? There's, this is quite simple, okay? <laughs> the present or the future? Past. But it's got the word last in it. So it must be at the end of the world, right? No. Last year was, is now behind us. What about last week? What did you do last week? I don't know. I've not done it yet. What? <laughs> because you said the word last. So last week must be the last week of planet Earth. No, last week was last week. It's over. February was last month, and it's finished. So if the last year is behind us, the last month is behind us, the last week is behind us, maybe the last days are behind us as well. You don't need to be a theologian. You just need to speak the English language and read the sentence, and it all falls into place. So the last days does not mean the last days of planet Earth. Nowhere in the Bible does it mean that. It means the last days of the old covenant. You read the old covenant prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies about what God was going to do in the last days and so on. Well, do you know what? He was going to make a new covenant. Has the new covenant been made yet, or are we still all sitting about in the old covenant waiting for it to happen? No, it's been made. It's been here for 2,000 years. And that was going to take place in the last days. The, the Bible does not speak of the end of the world. It speaks of the end of the age, specifically the old covenant age. One of our problems is that a lot of people, but this is only true in North America, by the way, um, a lot of people use the King James Bible. Like, no one in the UK uses the King James Bible. We gave up speaking Elizabethan English when Elizabeth I died, kind of thing, you know? And then we moved on to the next. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, a lot of Christians are stuck in the King James Bible. And one of the problems is, the King James Bible is a good Bible. But you don't speak that language. Therefore, 
before you actually understand what something's saying, you have to kind of filter it through your brain. Nobody says, dearest wifeth, passeth thou the salt across thy table to thy husband man? No one says that. They say, hey, honey, can you give me the salt? Right? No one talks that way. If, if you talk that way, the person listening to you is going to have to say, right, let me just, let me just work it out here. You know, so we, a lot of people read the King James Bible, and the King James translates end of the age as end of the world. What shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? But that is not what the Bible says. No other translation says that. The Greek doesn't say that. If you want to read that in the Aramaic translation, it doesn't say that. You can go on BibleGateway.com and read every freaking translation you can find there, and I suggest you go all the way down to the bottom to Young's literal translation, and it will all tell you. It's not the end of the world. There is not a single verse anywhere in the Old Testament or in the New Testament or even in the Apocrypha or even in the Gnostic Gospels, if you want to go there, that says the world is going to end. Nowhere does it say that. It talks about the end of an age, okay? It wasn't a concept. Even the heretics, even the false cults in the early church didn't believe in the end of the world. Nobody believed in it. Nobody thought about it. It wasn't a concept. Nobody taught it. And certainly Jesus didn't and the apostles didn't. They spoke about the end of an age. What age? the old covenant age. So, let's have a look at it. Let's look at the next slide. Number one, Jesus lived during the last days, okay? Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. It says, in the past, I, I, this was made for my screen, which is the size of a movie theater, and you can read it. So, I know you can't read it on that screen, but I'll read it for you. In the past in the past, behind us, right? And of course, this is written, this is written maybe, I don't know, in the 60s AD sometime. When, when was Hebrews written, Jonathan? Late 60s, maybe like 67, 68, something like that. Right, AD. So, the past they're talking about is the Old Testament. In the past, in fact, some translations say, in former times, okay? In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the past, in former times, God spoke to our ancestors many times, in many ways, through the prophets. But now, in these last days, oh, these are the last days. Yeah, if you lived in 66 AD, when it was written, but we don't live then. Now, in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. Jesus lived and taught during a period of time called the last days. I didn't make that up. It's there. Okay. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Whoever wrote Hebrews thought, I better start off by putting this last days thing to rest in verse 1. Okay. First Peter 1 Peter 1.20, Christ had been chosen by God 
before the creation of the world, away in the past, and was revealed in these last days. Has Jesus, are we waiting on Jesus to be revealed for the first time, or has he already been revealed? He's already been revealed. Um, is the, the apostle Peter who wrote that alive and well on planet earth now, or is he dead and gone? He's dead and gone. Okay, so he's writing about, it's in the present tense, when he was alive, not when we were alive, it says, in these last days, for your sake, Christ has been revealed. So both the author of Hebrews and Peter and First Peter there are saying very clearly, Jesus lived during a period called the last days. So we've got, this is a timeline here. If that's the Old Testament, if there's the cross, and this is the future, and this is where we are now, somewhere along here, they lived there. And they're calling that the last days, okay? Now, I know, I've heard people say, yes, okay, right, I'll give you that. That was the last days. But these are still the last days because the last days stretch all the way to the second coming of Christ. Well, that's a lot of days to call the last days. Yes, but a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years. Yeah, but God's kind of like intelligent. And he doesn't say to himself, I know what I'm going to do. I know what humans, what their definition of that word is. So just to be difficult, I'm going to use the same words they use, but I'm going to have totally different definitions for them. God doesn't do that. I'm going to call it the last days, but it's really 2,000 years. That will kind of trick them. And then they can have all these arguments and debates about what it means. No, God is speaking like, if, if, I, if I was to go to, to uh, you know, Kenya, and I, I learned a few words in Kenyan, and if I want to communicate with Kenyans, I'm not going to just say, well, they're going to have to work out what my definitions are. If I want to communicate with them, I need to understand their language. And so, God isn't trying to trick us, you know? If he says last days, he means last days. If he meant last millennium, two millennia, then he would have said in the last millennia. But he didn't. He said the last days, and Jesus was revealed in the last days. The second thing is the first apostles, the apostles that Jesus, you know, appointed when he was. So there are two main groups of apostles. Well, I mean, Jesus is called an apostle too. But when Jesus was here on the earth, he chose and appointed 12 apostles, okay? In Revelation, they're called the apostles of the Lamb, because when Jesus was here in his Lamb ministry, if I can say that, when he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, he appointed 12 apostles. But then he was the Lamb of God, he died on the cross, and then he rose again, and then he ascended, and after his ascension, he continues to give gifts to men, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, okay? They are post-ascension apostles, Ephesians 4 apostles, fivefold ministry apostles. But there was also a group of 12 who were like the first apostles. And those first apostles, you know, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and all these guys, they lived during a period of time called the last days. Let's look at it. Next slide, please. The first apostles lived during the last days. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, 
Day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, people speak in tongues, a crowd gathers, Peter preaches, and he says, this, this that you people on the day of Pentecost are witnessing, this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The day of Pentecost happened in the last days. That's what it says. Oh, but okay, it did, it did, but the last days stretch all the... No, they don't. No, they don't. Because if they did, the next verse wouldn't make sense. First John. Let me just tell you a little story about the, the Apostle John. Apostle John <clears throat> was based mainly in Jerusalem with Peter and James... Um, Paul had been like the apostle to the Gentiles kind of thing and had established a church in Ephesus. And then eventually he sent Timothy to be the leader of the church in Ephesus. And when Paul wrote 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy as the leader of the church in Ephesus. But then by this point, what happens is John is arrested by Nero. And according to history, he gets thrown into a pot of boiling oil to kill him and things like that. But whatever happens, he eventually gets exiled to the island of Patmos, which is just off the coast of Turkey. And while he's there, he writes the book of Revelation, okay? And sends it across to, to Turkey, or Asia Minor, as it was called then, to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Then he is released from prison in Patmos, and he goes back to the, the mainland. He used to be based in Jerusalem, but he knows that Jerusalem is, is in, a, in a time of civil war right now with the Romans, and it could be overthrown. So, he moves to Ephesus. So, by the time John was writing this, he was living in the city of Ephesus, and um, all he is the last surviving member of the Twelve Apostles. Peter's dead, James is dead, Andrew's dead, Philip's dead, uh, Thomas is either dead or in India. Um, so, they're all gone. He's the last guy, and he says this, dear children, it is now the last hour. So, we had the last days, and now it was down to the last hour. This was written just a fraction before AD 70 when the Romans invaded Jerusalem, wiped out the Old Testament temple and sacrifice system and all of that, wiped it out. This was, there was, it was the last hour of the Old Covenant age. The Old Covenant was about to be completely obliterated, never to resurrect. This is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, when John was alive, many Antichrists have come. This shows that it is now the last hour. They went out from us because they didn't belong to us. John is saying that the fulfillment of this Antichrist thing was that there would be people who were part of the church who would leave the church to form an, an anti-Christian cult, 
And that was exactly what they did. It was called Gnosticism. There was various different branches, but the branch he's dealing with is called Docetism. They were people who taught that Jesus Christ had not come in the flesh. And anyone who teaches, he says, that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh is of the spirit of Antichrist, okay? And it wasn't just some little cult. It got so big and so popular that the church was in danger of being obliterated by this false teaching. And the leader of it was a guy called Serinthus, who also lived in, in, um, in Ephesus. And so him and John, when John was in prison in the island of Patmos, Serinthus rose to power in the church. He began claiming Paul had warned them about this about 10 years earlier when he wrote the book of Galatians. If anyone comes preaching another Jesus or bringing another spirit, even if an angel from heaven came and brought another gospel, do not receive it. Well, while all the apostles are dead, the original ones, there are still apostles that work in the church, but the original 12, while John is out of the road in Patmos, Serinthus arrives, arises in Ephesus claiming that an angel appeared to him and corrected the gospel and gave him a new gospel. And that new gospel was a mixture of Greek mysticism and Jewish legalism. And he brought them both together. And uh, so the, the Greek mysticism was, um, it wasn't, by mysticism, I don't mean having spiritual experiences, I mean philosophical concepts, you know, right? So they had all of these philosophical concepts, and then they had <clears throat> all of these Old Testament legalisms, and he brought them together. And he, what they taught was that this world was so sinful, so evil, they even had a word for it, fallen, that it's bad, bad to the bone, okay? If they were Calvinists, they would say it's totally depraved, right? <laughs> so, it's bad to the bone. Therefore, there's nothing spiritual about this world, and there's nothing good about it. God isn't interested in redeeming the world. We, should, we just want, we need to get out of these bodies that we're trapped in and get out of this physical world that we're trapped in and float around the spirit world all the time. If we could do that, it would be great. Material things are evil, spiritual things are good. Therefore, G Jesus Christ could not have come in the flesh. He couldn't have become a, fle a flesh and blood human being because flesh is physical matter. Therefore, it is evil. Therefore, Jesus Christ only appeared to come in the flesh. And the first version of it taught that Jesus was actually a spirit. He just looked physical, but he was actually a spirit that was kind of deceiving people to be physical. But that never lasted very long. So, Serenthus came up with a, a, a new idea. He said, Jesus and the Christ are two different people. If you ever come across an organization called Share International, led by a guy called Benjamin Cream, if you, maybe you, if you ever have like these new age festivals and fairs and things like that that take over a conference center, go along sometime, find the Share International desk and go and talk to them. 
they teach this today, right? Jesus and the Christ are two different beings, two different people. That Jesus was just a normal human man, not born of a virgin or anything else, just a normal human man, and he was a channeler, and he could channel spirits from the spirit realm. And there was a spirit called the Christ, and it came down and possessed him and entered into him at his baptism. So, you know the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism? They say this spirit called the Christ came into Jesus at his baptism. And then when Jesus got crucified, it was just Jesus that got crucified. It wasn't the Christ, because the Christ thought, well, I'm not hanging about here and getting crucified. I'm out of here. So, he popped out of Jesus' body and began to float up to heaven, and Jesus panicked and said, don't go away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see how they got a whole new gospel? A whole new interpretation. Therefore, Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. It's actually a it's a phrase that they would actually use. And John says, anyone who claims Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh is a deceiver and the antichrist. They were part of our group, but they left and went off onto this wacko doctrine. And he says, that is a sign that not only are we living in the last days, but it's now the last hour when John wrote this. Okay? So, the apostles lived during the last days. My next slide, please. The first apostasy and the first persecution spoken about in scriptures happened during the last days. Book of Jude. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Foretold. So, this is a prophecy. When they said it, it had not yet happened. It was still in the future. So, let's read it. They said to you, in the last days there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Now, there's always been scoffers, hasn't there? And there always will be. There, has all, there have always been people who follow their ungodly desires, and there always will be. It's the context of this that's important. You know how Jesus said there'll be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes? But, and people, some people say, but there's always been famines. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been these things. Yeah, but the, <clears throat> you have to read it in context. Jesus is speaking about a geographical region that that will happen in. Okay? And here, there's always been scoffers, but he's specifically writing this to the church, to the body of Christ. Okay? And he says this, that scoffers would arise who would follow their own ungodly desires. You see, these Gnostics taught that since this world was sinful and fallen and evil anyway, and it's only spiritual things that are good, um, there, was, there were two, a couple of different groups, but one group taught that you should burn up, you should kind of like burn yourself out as quickly as possible because you're trapped in this physical world until you've, you've kind of like burned out and then you die and you can, get, you can escape from the body. Therefore, you should just sin as much as you want. You should sin that grace may abound. You should sin as much. See, when you know a little bit of history, a whole bunch of Bible passages suddenly make sense to you, okay? You should sin as much as you want. I mean, um, some of them had uh, orgies that took place. 
as part of their worship services and things like that. This is what he's talking about, these false teachers, these scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, um, who follow mere natural instincts and not this, the Spirit. And he said that would happen in the last days. And then look what he says. These are the people who divide you. You, the people I'm writing to. If I was to write you an email, what's your name? Wanda. Wanda. If I wrote you an email tomorrow, right? What's the date tomorrow? Is it the second or the third? Six. 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 Fifth. I'm in the last days, yeah. Today's the fifth. No, today's the fourth. Spirit of confusion, I come against you. Right. Tomorrow, and I wrote, it's March, isn't it? March 5th, 2017. Dear Wanda, um, I want you to be aware that somebody has got into the congregation and is trying to cause division. You wouldn't pick up that email and turn to your husband and say, in 2,000 years' time, there will be a church that somebody will get into and cause division. Well, how, how do you know that? Martin said it. Well, where did he say it? No, Martin said that in March the 6th, 2017, that there's somebody in your church right now, today, causing division. It's not a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in 2,000 years' time. And Jude is writing to the churches in his region, and he is saying these false teachers that are right now dividing you. He didn't say, by the way, in a couple of thousand years, a new continent called the Americas shall be discovered. And then they will then, lots of people will move there, and then Christianity will arrive, and then, then someone will come, then the Mormons will appear, and that's who I'm talking about. It doesn't say any of that. It's not talking about a different church, a different century, a different group of people. He's ta he, the people he's talking to, He's talking to them about what's happening to them, right? And he says, these are the, the people who, who are dividing you right now. And he said that that's what was foretold to happen in the last days. Jesus ministered in the last days. The first apostles ministered in the last days. The first apostasy and persecution happened in the last days. What's my next slide? The last... The last days of Israel are also called the end of the age, the old covenant age. Actually, I was looking at this this morning and I thought, I don't like the way that's worded, the last days of Israel. I don't like that. The last days of the Old Testament are also called the end of the age. That would be better. The last days of the old covenant, rather, are called the end of the age. Hebrews 9.26. I need to come down here. It says... Does that say? <laughs> Hebrews says, "Follow the try and get that back on again." You got my—I gave you my password, so you should be able to do that. Um, uh, okay. It said, I'll read it to you. He then would have had to suffer, talking about Jesus, since the foundation of the world, but now, once, at the ends of the ages, 
at the ends of the ages. Give me a couple of bits of paper. Does somebody have any paper or books? Here's some books. Right. This is how ages work. Imagine again a timeline, past, present, future, right? So imagine this is the old covenant age and this is the new covenant age. They don't really join together like that. But let, let's just pretend they do for a moment, okay? And then I'll explain exactly what they do. The ends of the ages, so this is the old covenant, there, and it's got two ends to it, just like a piece of string would have two ends to it. It's got the beginning end here, and it's got the last end here, right? Same with the new covenant. If it was a piece of string, it's got two ends to it. The ends of the ages are where two ends touch. In actual fact, there's a better way to translate it. Not the ends of the ages, the overlap of the ages. Because that's actually what happens. The old covenant was still in existence after the new covenant started. When Jesus died on the cross, that was the beginning of the New Testament, the new covenant when he died and rose again. But there was a 40-year period that two covenants coexisted side by side until AD 70 when the old covenant temple and sacrificial system was wiped out. Okay? That is called the overlap of the ages. In biblical astronomy, it's called the cusp of the ages. You can actually measure it. And um, in theology, it's usually called the transition period. And see that period of time where the old covenant and the new covenant coexisted? The new covenant had just been born. I want you to imagine... Could, could you two come out, come up and stand here? Right, I want you to imagine that you are much older than you really are, and you're much younger than you really are. In fact, you've just been born five minutes ago, okay? <laughs> there is a period of time where both mother and daughter are alive at the same time. But, apart from accidents or an unexpected illness or something, the normal course of things is the daughter is a little baby to begin with, but she grows older and older and bigger and bigger, while the mother gets older and older and dies. So there, there was a period of time where there was just the mother with no daughter, okay? And there will in the future be a period of time where there's just a daughter with no mother. But there's also a period in the middle where both mother and daughter live side by side. They're both alive at the same time. There was once an old covenant with no new covenant. We now live in a time of a new covenant with no old covenant. But for a 40-year period, both the new covenant and the old covenant lived at the same time, side by side. Okay? One of them was aging and dying, and the other one had just been born and was small and fragile, but was growing stronger and stronger and will continue to grow until it fills the whole earth. Okay? Old covenant, new covenant. Thank you very much. And um, so, Hebrews says that Jesus died at the overlap or the end of the ages. Right. 
So that's my first thing. The, like, I could labor the point, we could keep going, but I've labored it enough. The last days are the past days. The last, we don't live in the last days. The last days are not ahead of us. We live in the kingdom. That's where we live. You don't want to live in the last days anyway. You want to live in the kingdom, okay? <laughs> you want to, so we live in the days of the advancing kingdom and of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end, okay? It's always increasing. So, Matthew 24 and Revelation. Here's, here's a timeline that I wanted. So, um, tribulation. I'll call this return three. Right, okay. So, three things. The Bible speaks about a time of tribulation. There, there's no doubt about that. A tribulation period. It even actually tells us how long it would be. And it's not seven years, it's three and a half years. It tells us. Okay. The Bible speaks about a long period of time when the gospel would go forth, when the kingdom advances, okay? And then the Bible also speaks about a final return of Christ when three big things are going to happen. There is the, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the final judgment. Okay? Return of Christ, resurrection of the dead, final judgment. So, the Bible does speak about all of these, these things, but I remember when I was a young Christian, I remember somebody giving me one of these little comic book tracts. Then do you remember those? Nun, chick tracts. Nuns were always bad. They had fangs and things like that. Do you remember that? And everybody was demon-possessed. I mean, everybody was demon-possessed. Do you remember? So, um, and I, I got this one. Did anybody ever get that little comic book called The Beast? Did anybody see that one? <laughs> right. So, this is, what, this is what it taught. It taught that Jesus died on the cross, and then there was another period of time called the church age. And then there was going to be an event called the rapture. And then that was going to be followed by seven years tribulation. And then that was going to be followed by the return of Christ and the resurrection. And then, but just the resurrection of Christians, not of everybody. How, how, does, how could that be? Because, you know, well, I suppose people who became Christians then. Then there's going to be a thousand-year period where Jesus kind of plays at being King Arthur or something like that. That's what it looked like from the picture, sits on a throne with a... With a, and rides around in a white unicorn and all that stuff. And then there's going to be a, a, the great white throne judgment. And then there's going to be the new creation. So 
that was kind of the order that they, they said. Now, can I just say all of these things are taught in the Bible? All of these things are taught in the Bible. Cat, I don't like the word rapture, but we'll say catching up. Um, tribulation with earthquakes and famine and war, etc. Um, re return of Christ. Uh, there is this millennium spoken of in the book of Revelation. There's a great white throne. All these things are... So, I read that and thought, oh my goodness. I mean, like, if we're here in history, no, yeah, if we're here in human history, then there may be trouble ahead. Unless I get whisked up in this rapture and put a nice bumper sticker in my vehicle so that my neighbors know that they can take the car, you know, in case of rapture, this vehicle might, and all that stuff. Right. All of these things are spoken of in Scripture, just not in that order, <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, there is no pair that it separates the catching up of, the, of believers and the return of Christ. Both of those are the same event, and they happen here, okay? Um, the, the, the tribulation period is spoken about as happening within the lifetime of Jesus' hearers. So all of those, so I'm not saying that, there's, that those things are not taught in the Bible, but I'm saying sticking them all together in that order is not taught in the Bible. So this is more like, the, this is kind of like the order. So I, I want to show you how Jesus' prophecy and the book of Revelation teach this. Right. Okay. So, first of all, Matthew. Oh, we're back on. Are we back on? Yeah. Okay, right. So, Matthew 24, verse 3. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him in private and said to him, Tell us, when will this be? They asked, and what will be the sign of your presence and the end of the age. We're going to look at Matthew 24. Most people start reading it there at verse 3. Most, most people start reading, you know, or if you see it quoted in a book, it usually starts at verse 3. That's usually where people... Now, you don't really need to be a genius to work out that verse 2 comes before verse 3, and verse 1 comes before verse 2, and chapter 23 comes before chapter 24, right? So, it kind of seems strange to start quoting someone halfway through something they're saying with no context giving. But people do that all the time, and they say, oh, what will be the sign of his coming and the end of the age? Or better still, they'll read it in the King James, the end of the world. And then they'll read the next few verses, and they will think that the next few verses are signs that the world is going to come to an end soon. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Be not alarmed, for the end has not yet come. 
There will be earthquakes in many places and famines and etc., etc., and so it goes on like that. And then you think, oh my goodness, those must all be the signs that the world is about to end. No, that is not what Jesus is saying. What we're going to see is in Matthew 24 is that first of all, it starts in Matthew 23. 23. And in Matthew 23, which we don't have time to go through all this verse by verse, I'm just kind of like giving you bullet points for you to do your own study, okay? And uh, Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of religious law. And he ain't all that nice. Have you noticed some Christians are nicer than Jesus? Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) They think being nice is the fruit of the Spirit. But Jesus wasn't always like Mr. Nice Guy, you know? And he said to them, woe to you, you vipers, you snakes, you dogs, you liars, you deceivers, you blind guides. Your blood's going to be shed. Oh, Jesus. That's not politically correct. But Jesus said, he's really mad at them. And he says this, he says to them in Matthew 24, all, he says, all of the blood of all of the prophets that, have, that has ever been shed from Abel, remember Cain killed Abel, all the way to, who was it, Zeph, Zephaniah, or one of these, Ze, Zechariah, one of these guys, Zebedee or somebody. So, um, all of the blood of all of the prophets that has ever been shed will be held to the account of this generation. And he's speaking specifically to the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law that are alive there and then, and are listening to him, and are like, I've got steam coming out their ears, are so angry at him. They know he's talking to them. And he says, this generation... If I was to bring a prophetic word right now, if I was to go into a vision and say, the Lord is showing me that in this generation there shall be a nuclear war in New Zealand. Would you all go home and say to yourself, or tell people who weren't here, Martin prophesied that in 2,000 years' time there's going to be a nuclear war in Japan. Would you say that? No. How come Jesus can say that in this generation, in the province of Judea, there will be a time of tribulation. Jesus is saying that in 2,000 years' time in North America, there's going to be martial law. Huh? How do we do that? The Bible's so simple that it takes help. We need someone to help us misunderstand it. Okay? And we've had a lot of help. So, Jesus is saying to... The blood of all the prophets that have ever died is going to be held to the account of this generation. And then he says, your house will be left to you desolate. And everyone knew that when you're in Jerusalem and you speak about the house, you're talking about the house of the Lord, the temple, especially when you're speaking to religious leaders. And he said to them, 
There's going to be an account coming to this generation, and the result is that your house is going to be left to you desolate, your temple's going to be destroyed. That's the context of chapter 23. Then, can you give me the next slide, please? Give me the next one. What does the next one say? Right. Um, so, and, and then, so, tribul- so this is section one, okay? The great tribulation. So, then in the very beginning of chapter 24, um, Jesus says, I thought I had the verses up, I've just got like explanations. So, Jesus is walking out of the temple and like his disciples are like in shock. Jesus, that was the denominational leaders you just offended. What are we going to do now? We're walking out. Your house will be left to you desolate. My goodness. So they're walking out and they think it can't possibly mean the temple. I mean, surely he cannot mean the temple. And they say, but look, look, Jesus, look at this. Look, look at the new projectors we've got, Jesus, and the new screens. And, and we'll get nice purple lights. I mean, isn't it beautiful here? And Jesus says, yeah, the whole thing is going to get torn down. He says, you see these stones? Not one stone will be left upon another. They will all be pulled down. And they were. The Wailing Wall in Jerusalem was never part of the temple, just so you know that. It was actually the wall of a Roman fort. You can go and pray to the wall of a Roman fort if you want, but I think you'll get more results sitting in your bedroom talking to your Heavenly Father. But that's up to you. So there is... There is not a single stone in the temple that is left standing, okay? They were all pulled down. And his disciples are still in shock, right? So, picture this. Here's where the temple, there's Jerusalem, and there's the valley, there's Kidron Valley, and there's the Mount of Olives, right? And there's the temple there. You can see it all around. Kind of like if you go to Europe, there's all, the, the big cathedrals are always in the highest point of the towns and cities, so you see it all around, okay? So they leave, and they go down there, and they go up the Mount of Olives, like in total silence, with the disciples thinking, he's lost the plot again, you know? And then they sit up there, eating their picnic or whatever they're doing, and they're looking right at the temple. And so, after Jesus saying they'll all be destroyed, they go down, walk down there in silence, they walk up there, you read the whole thing in context sometime, and when they get there, they say, Jesus, when will these things be? What things? The temple being destroyed, and this generation having a terrible time of tribulation. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming, probably better translated, of your presence, of your, the arrival of your kingdom, and of the end, not of the world, but the end of the age, the end of the Old Testament age. Do you know that when, when um, God spoke to Abraham, remember, the, let's go all the way back to, remember when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac and the Lord provided a lamb, and all, remember the whole story? And remember that, remember that God promised Abraham that he would give the promised land to his descendants as an everlasting possession? You remember that? No, he didn't. You don't remember that at all. You've been told that. <laughs> he, he said, I will give you the land. You read that in the English translation, an everlasting possession. As an, do you know how you spell olam? Just O-L-A-M. As an olam 
as an age enduring possession. They, Abraham's descendants were to possess the promised land for an age. We don't have ages today. We've got seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and centuries. But they had ages. Not every age is exactly the same length. There's a little bit of difference, but they're all approximately 1,260 years. Just like a day is based on, you know, the sun rising and the sun setting and the moon rising, so the sun and the moon mark days, the constellations mark ages. And, and just like you can look out your window first thing in the morning or last, later, later on at night, and sometimes the sun and moon are both in the sky at the same time, but one is ascending and one is descending, so the Old and New Covenant both coexisted at the same time, but one was descending, the Old Covenant was dying away while the New Covenant was ascending, and it's the same with ages. There, are, there is an overlap period where two of the constellations that mark the ages. Remember God said in Genesis, let there be the sun and moon and stars, and let them be signs that mark seasons. Okay? So, are both here at the same time. So, there's an overlap period, and, uh, but approximately, that's usually the approximate that people give they knew, they spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. They knew the word Olam. They knew that it meant an age. They knew what an age was in their calendar. They knew there was going to be a time. In fact, a whole group of them called the Essenes had cleared out of Jerusalem and set up the Qumran community to get out of there because they had calculated from their Hebrew calendars that the age was about to come to an end. And God had given them the land as an age enduring possession. Okay. So, so they say, what will be the sign of, like, are you talking about the end of the age? Are you talking about what the Essenes say? Are you talking about the fact that God gave Abraham's descendants the land as an age enduring? Are you saying the temple's going to be destroyed? I mean, surely you can't be saying that, Jesus. What will be the sign of the arrival, the presence, your kingly presence here, your advancing kingdom, and the end of this old covenant age. And Jesus said, be careful nobody deceives you about this, because there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Such things must happen, but the end, the end of what? The end of the age is not yet. You say, well, there's always been wars and rumors of wars. To us, but not to them, because they lived in a time called the Pax Romana, when the, the Roman peace, they lived in the Roman Empire where there was no wars and rumors of wars. The slightest rumor of a war and the Roman legions were sent in to crush it. But Jesus is actually predicting the breakup of the Roman Empire. And he said, there's going to start being wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be nations fighting against nations. There's going to be break, the, the, the empire's going to break up like the European Union is right now. It's glorious. So, that's all going to break up, and people are going to get their freedom again from this empire, right? So, that's all going to break up. There's going to be famines and earthquakes, and he specifies it will happen in, in Judea. Like, 
He says, he says it'll happen in Judea, and he says, pray that it doesn't happen in the Sabbath when you have to obey the Sabbath laws. Let those who are in Jerusalem flee and all that. He says all that stuff. So he's talking about it happening in a region. Do you know that in the 40-year period from Jesus saying this to the temple being destroyed, there were more earthquakes and volcanic activity in the Mediterranean area than in any other 40-year period in history? There was also terrible, in fact, in fact, AD 72 was actually the end of it when Vesuvius erupted and destroyed the city of Pompeii. The city of Pompeii, where the slaves, the surviving women, when the Romans invaded Jerusalem in AD 70, there's also a valley in that side. It's called the Valley of Ben-Hinnon or Gehenna. That was a rubbish dump there, right? And so imagine, and they, they, they used to throw their garbage off that wall, and it was burning all the time there. It was a kind of burning rubbish dump. So what the Romans did when they invaded Jerusalem was they crucified all the men. Well, they killed, they killed most of the men, and most of the ones that they killed, they actually crucified, which was interesting. His blood be on us and on our children them and their children, the people who said that, the people who said, shouted, crucify him, crucify him about Jesus, them and their children are the ones who were crucified en masse by the Romans. The Romans nailed them to all the trees they could, and when they ran out of trees, they nailed them to the walls of the city. Then they got their battering rams, and they pushed the city walls over into Gehenna, it's better to enter. It would have been better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye or one hand than to be cast and reject Christ and be cast into Gehenna at the end of the age. Okay? Gehenna is not Hades. It's a different subject. So they were pushed off in there into this fiery, maggot-infested dump. I can't remember why I told you that. But anyway, so, so that was what the Romans did. And, um, and the, the, I mean, like, it was, it was brutal. Jesus said, and, and, and he said, These, this generation, the same, the same thing he said in chapter 23, this generation, he says this in 24 verse 36, this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. He said there would be wars and rumors of wars. It happened within that 40 years. He said there would be famines and earthquakes all over that region. It happened. In fact, one of the famines is actually takes place in the book of Acts when Agabus the prophet arises and predicts by the Spirit that a famine was coming to Jerusalem. And Paul raised money from all the Gentile churches to send it to the saints in Jerusalem because they were going to be part of the famine. Jesus said... When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee. He says, if you're out of the city and you're out in the field working and you look back and you see it, don't go back to get your stuff because you're going to get killed if you do. Because what, when, when the Romans surrounded Jerusalem with armies, there was two things that happened. The Jews in the city didn't want, they didn't want anybody to be cowards. And so they said to them, anyone tries to leave here, we're going to kill you. And they had their own guards on the city gates. You can read Josephus' 
boring old history of, about it, but it's all in there, but it's a hard read. They had them standing in the gates to kill anyone who was such a coward that were going to try and flee the city. And if you did manage to get past them, outside the city gates were the Romans. And they, I don't know whether this was really happening or not, but the Romans believed that the Jews were swallowing precious stones like diamonds and things like that to smuggle them out and say, no, I've not got anything on me. Here, take my money. So the Romans were cutting them open to see if they had swallowed any precious stones. So if the Jews never killed you, the Romans were going to kill you, right? So Jesus said, if you're out in this field, I mean, this has got nothing to do with the modern world. If you're out in the field, how many of you live in a city with a city wall around it? And you go out of the city wall every day to work in the field, and you can look back and say, oh, behold, the city is surrounded by armies. It just doesn't happen, you know? So, that you're out in the field, don't go back. And he says, and if you're on the rooftop, do not go down to the house. Well, how are you going to get out then? You see, in those days, where did the lid for that go? In those days, if it was a warm evening, people would sleep on the rooftop. They would sleep up on the rooftop. And what they would do, it was a flat roof. They would put up a pole in each corner and put a white sheet over it. And they would just sleep under there. So the breeze is going through and they can, they can be cool. And that morning, they woke up and then they stand up on the roof and they look out of the city and they see that Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. And in fact, the armies have got, they see eagle banners. The Romans carried these eagle banners and they see these eagle banners everywhere, all around the city. Where the corpse is, there the eagles shall gather, Jesus said in this prophecy. And they think, oh no, the Romans are here, we're stuck. But Jesus' followers, the Christians in the city, said, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, Jesus told us about this. He said, flee to the mountains. But he said, if you're on the rooftop, don't go down to your house. Like, don't go down the stairs of the house and out the front door and take some stuff and go to the city gates because the Jews won't let us out. And if we do manage to sneak by them and we get out the city gates, the Romans are going to cut us open to see if we've swallowed any diamonds or whatever, right? So hold on a minute. Jesus said, flee to the mountains. But he said, if you're on the rooftop, don't go down. So what do we do? And they think, well, I'm on the rooftop here. I remember seeing a detective movie on the TV once, and he, so I'm going to do, so they, they literally leapt from rooftop to rooftop till they got to the city wall and climbed down the city wall and escaped to a city called Pella, and not, as far as we know, not a single Christian died in the Roman siege of Jerusalem because they knew Jesus had predicted it, and they followed his prophecy exactly, and they got out. The Romans then invade, they kill most of the men, and they take most of the women prisoners, kind of like ISIS today, they take them prisoners as sex slaves. So they're going to take them to the place where all the prostitution is, the kind of Vegas of the Roman Empire, which was the city of Pompeii. And they take them there in AD 70, and they're only there for two years. And then Vesuvius erupts, everyone escapes who's not killed with the ash, and it is no more. And from the moment that Vesuvius erupts, and that devastation hits 
the Roman Empire. It's like shockwaves throughout the Roman Empire, and the gospel suddenly spreads throughout the entire Roman Empire, because the old covenant is completely destroyed. The beast, who is Rome, and her ruler have attacked the harlot city, which is Jerusalem, and burned her to the ground with fire, exactly like it's predicted in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation says that Babylon, the harlot, is the city of Jerusalem. It says that. It says it is the city where our Lord was crucified. That wasn't New York. That wasn't Rome. That was Jerusalem. Harking back to the Old Testament prophets, the book of Isaiah, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the once faithful city has now become a harlot. And Revelation says that the beast shall turn on the harlot and shall burn her to the ground with fire. And that was what Rome did to Jerusalem in AD 70, but all the Christians escaped. So, the great tribulation was going to happen within one generation. That is according to the book of, uh, according to Matthew 24. But in Revelation, it, t- it talks about the same thing. The book of Revelation, chapters 4 to 19, you'll see it talks about um, the uh, famines, earthquakes, the temple, the Roman soldiers invading the temple, a slaughter, the blood coming up to the horses' bridles, all of that kind of stuff. And Revelation was written... It, Matthew was written, or Jesus spoke Matthew's prophecy 40 years before it happened, and he said, this generation will not pass away. Revelation was written only a few years before it happened, and it didn't say this generation. It says very soon, very soon, about to happen. Behold, it is coming quickly. It is very soon. These things were going to be fulfilled very soon. So Jesus' prophecy says, very soon, within a generation, there will be this time of tribulation, mainly within the region of Judea, but Revelation also expands it to the region of Asia Minor because now most of the Christians were based in, that was the most Christianized province at that point. And then both of them talk about this long period of time. And this long period of time is when the kingdom of God is being advanced. We don't live in the tribulation. We don't live in the end times. We don't live in the last days. We live in the long period of time of the advancing kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean there's nothing to happen. Then there will be a final return of Christ, a resurrection of the dead, and a final judgment, which is still to take place in our future. And both Matthew 20, it's not just 24, you have to read Matthew 23, 24, and 25. And then read the book of Revelation as well, and you will see it falling in to this same pattern. What's my next slide? It should be the long period of time. Okay, the advancing kingdom. I'm going to talk about that tonight. What's the next one? Section three, the new, new creation. I mean, we're already part of the new creation, but it will then fill all things. What have I got after that? Okay, the Antichrist. So I've told you who the Antichrist was, Serinthus. And I just want to touch on the beast part. So... While all of this is happening here in Jerusalem, away over in what's called Turkey today, Asia Minor, that had become the, the most Christianized 
province in the entire empire at that point. So that was where Satan... Revelation tells us that after the dragon attacks the woman who is Israel, she's clothed with the sun, with the moon in her feet. She's clothed with the sun, the moon in her feet, and a crown of 12 stars in her head. It comes from Genesis. It comes from Joseph's dream of his father and mother as the sun and moon and his brothers as 11 stars, him being the 12th. You know, they bow down to worship him. They are the nation of Israel, okay? That the dragon was going to attack the nation of Israel. And so I wish I had brought this picture. Have you got one of these pictures of Draco? You know, the Draco flag that they... Have you ever seen that? So, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, you see this, this picture where there is a woman clothed with the sun, crown of 12 stars, and there is a dragon She's, she's pregnant and about to give birth, and there is a dragon about to devour her. Now, incidentally, 3 BC, when Jesus was born, I know it sounds funny that Jesus was born three, day, three years before Christ, but it's, it's, he was, it's the calendars. The Pope mixed up the calendar, okay? Three years before Jesus was born, it, no. 3 BC, when Jesus was born, in the night sky, the constellation Virgo okay, which has 12 stars, the sun entered Virgo, and Virgo became pregnant with the sun. And the sun then passed between Virgo's legs. She gave birth to the sun. This happened in the sky when Jesus was being born. I mean, the wise men were looking at something, okay? And they were wise men. It, was, it wasn't like, oh, there's a meteor. Everybody could see that. It took wise men to work out what was happening here, right? <laughs> and there was another, there's another constellation called Draco. Sometimes it's called Draconis, which is the dragon. Do you know that when the, ro- and, and the dra- it says the dragon was waiting for the man-child to be born so it could devour and it says that the dragon has many heads. The devil worked through one of the heads of state, King Herod, to try and kill the Messiah the moment he was born. But they were taken to safety in Egypt for a while and then come back. And, and then that man-child eventually ascends, is snatched up to God and ascends. And then it says, the dragon then left the woman and went to make war on her other offspring, those that believed in the testimony of Jesus Christ. See, when the Romans invaded Jerusalem, Israel invaded Jerusalem, do you know that as well as the eagle banners, they also carried these, you know, like these wind socks that you get in airports? They had those as well in the shape of the constellation Draco, the dragon, attacking Israel. They actually literally, physically had that. And then once Jerusalem was wiped out, Rome then went to Asia Minor and they went to the other offspring of Israel, those that believe in Jesus, and began the persecution there. And Emperor Nero, see, Emperor Nero revived emperor worship. It had almost died out. Um, 
see, which, which Caesar was it that obliterated emperor worship? Let me think. Um, Tiberius Caesar actually asked the Roman Senate to accept the divinity of Christ. I know it was eventually Emperor Constantine that legalized Christianity, but it almost happened before that. He asked them to recognize the divinity of Christ because so many people in the empire believed in it. And let's just get rid of this archaic emperor worship stuff. But then when Nero came to power, he so it looked like the dragon, it looked like the Roman Empire and emperor worship had been given a death blow. But Nero revived it all. Revelation says the dragon looked like it had been killed but had come back to life. The emperor worship looked like it had died out, but then it came back to life. And, and he revived it. And then what Nero did was Nero then went to Asia Minor, where all, most of the Christians were, and he recruited the pagan priests. And he said to them, let's bring back emperor worship. Let's weed these Christians out. Let's bring back emperor worship. Well, how will we do it? Well, there, there was like a town square thing called the Agora in each of these towns. There was various things that took place there. But one of the things was that was where the marketplace was. It would be like going to, what's that place called? Wegmans? What's it called? Wegmans. It would be like going to Wegmans. And you go to go in the front door and the person stops you and says, before you go in the front door, well, it wouldn't be, it'd be Trump, I suppose. So here's a statue of Trump. <laughs> you must bow down and worship the president before you can get in there and say that he is your Lord. And there's a little bowl with incense in it. And you must put your hand into that incense and wipe it in your head and say, Trump is my Lord, before you can get into Weg Wegmans, Wegmans to buy or to sell. That was what Nero did. He got the pagan priests to set up statues. Jonathan's got videos. He's been to the Ephesus and the various places, right? So, and they set up statues of Nero, and you had to say, Nero is Lord. It was deliberately worded to pick out the Christians. And you had to put your hand into the incense and wipe it on your head and say, Nero is Lord. If you did that and you walked on, everybody knew because you had the mark on your head and on your hands. And everybody knew that Nero, his own subject, even the non-Christians hated him. They hated him. And they referred to him as the beast of Rome. There's ancient writings, even when philosophers talk about that beast in Rome, and they're talking about Nero every time. And they're calling him the beast because he was a terrible person. He was a beastly person. He kicked his pregnant wife to death, then took part in a same-sex marriage, which he then consummated with the guy in front of everybody, raped his mother. I mean, the guy was a bad dude. He was a bad hombre, to quote Trump again, okay? <laughs> he was a bad dude. He was a beast. He hated people. He arrested Christians and had them tied to stakes, poured tar over them and set them on fire to light up his garden parties. Okay? The guy was bad. He was a beast. And the only way you could get into the marketplace to buy or to sell was if you had worshipped the image of the beast and taken the mark of the beast upon your forehead and your hand. And in those days, we've got numbers today, one, two, three, four, and five, but in those days they didn't. 
they had the letters of their alphabets became, so if we, if we did what they did, the letter A would also mean number one, the letter B would also mean number two, the letter C would also mean number three, up to 10, and then you go 10, 20, and so on, right? Emperor Nero, or Neron Kaiser, is 666. So, it's, now, let's read the passage. Let's read it. Can you put the next one up? And then we'll finish. We'll do, it. We'll do questions. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, this is talking about a guy that was alive at the time. This is not predicting the year 2020 or something. One is, the other is yet to come. When you count down the Roman emperors, you see that it's talking about Nero who was alive at the time. <clears throat> and when he comes, he must remain a little while. Right, okay, next, next one. Next passage, please. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. What sea? The, the Pacific Ocean? No, the Mediterranean. He was on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean. I saw in this Mediterranean region a beast arising out of Italy, out of Rome in the Mediterranean. And it had seven heads and ten horns. I wish I had time to go into all this, but we don't, but by the USBs. And written on each head were names that, dis that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard. This is all to do with the prophet Daniel. Um, I'll, I'll skip that. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery. That was the emperor worship, where they worshiped the head of state. That's why it's the head. But it did recover. The whole land marveled and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to, whatever, fight against him? Next slide. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemous words against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months, for three and a half years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his temple. Oh, Revelation was written when the temple was still standing. Do you see that? Um, I've never actually noticed that as a proof before. Have you noticed that as a proof? Right, okay. And those who dwell in heaven, um, let me blah, 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 blah. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Next, next slide, please. <clears throat> Anyone who cares to hear should listen and understand anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone who is destined to die by the sword will be taken by the sword. Then I saw another beast come out of the earth. It had two horns. This is a religious beast and it, it exercised all the authority of the political beast. And go on, go on um, the History Channel or the History Channel website sometime and see if you can find a documentary called something like Amazing Machines of the Ancients. 
and they show you how the pagan priests in Rome used to build their statues of Aphrodite and, and a, you know, all the Roman gods and Greek gods and the emperors, and they, they built mechanics into them so that when people were worshipping, they would suddenly move. Mm. Mm. And they were also hollow inside. Uh, they, they could make tears come out of the eyes. They could make fire. They mixed chemicals together, and they could make fire suddenly appeared. And they were hollow inside, and a little priest would go up, and you'd be there praying and saying, Oh, great Apollo, should I marry this woman or not? Yes, you should. Oh, my goodness, it spoke. But it was a priest inside the statue. And then the next thing, it would move, and fire would come down. You think, oh, I need to go and marry that woman. Apollo spoke to me. The gods have spoken. That was what they did. And this tells you that those priests made an image of the beast and made it look like it could speak and move and, and created false signs and wonders, trickery and sleight of hand, so that people would worship the beast and take the mark of the beast upon their hand and their forehead so they could get into the marketplace to buy and sell. It's not a microchip injected into your skin instead of your credit card. I don't know that I would want that anyway, but like, do you think you're going to lose your salvation because you got a, your iris scanned at the airport or something? Come on, this is about turning away from Christ. And so you can take that principle and you can work it all the way through the book of Revelation. And you can see that that was the last days. This is the days of the advancing kingdom. One day Jesus will return. But that won't stop the kingdom advancing. It will continue to advance after that because of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Once we've filled this planet with a kingdom, we'll go and start evangelizing Bar Venus and Mars and whatever else, planting Christian republics on it, you know, and advancing the kingdom throughout. Okay, I need to stop. Let's do 10 minutes of questions and answers if there are any, and we're going to stop bang on 12. Are there any? <clears throat> I know lots of people don't like questions and answers. I'm not. I usually don't ask questions. But see if you're going to stop me in the cold parking lot and ask me a complicated... Ask it right now, okay? I, I didn't want to ask you this in front of everybody, but... And it's like, you're the fifth person that came and asked that. If you'd asked it publicly, all five of you would have got the answer. Uh, yes? We, we have a question here, Dave. Uh, first of all, thanks so much. This has been wonderful. Um, in, I think it's Revelation 19... It's, it speaks about, you know, uh, new heaven and new earth and Christ returning. Mm -hmm. and, but this, I was specifically curious about what your take is on where it says for the old, former things, the old earth has passed away, the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. I uh, just wanted to hear how you treat that and what you think about that. Okay, I'm not going to be able to do this justice. I'll give you my answer, but I won't be able to prove it or anything like that. Um, and Jonathan will give you a slightly different answer, but he's wrong. So, <laughs> no, I think, I think he would probably, he, I, will, I will emphasize one side of it more than the other. He would emphasize the other side of it more, more than mine, probably. So, I think in some senses, in many senses, the new creation is already here. Because the word for new creation is the same in the one that says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In fact, 
the, a literal translation doesn't say he is a new creation. It says, for anyone in Christ, the new creation has come, which is an interesting way to put it. So, I think that we do live in a new heavens and a new earth spiritually. For I know it's not happened materially yet. There's a catching up time for me to advance the kingdom, but the kingdom is here. I mean, like, if, if we go to, let's say we found an island someplace that there was no Christians on, and we went there as missionaries and preached the gospel, God doesn't just turn up. I mean, God was already there before we arrived. Okay, He's everywhere, right? It's just then the people hear about Him and open up to Him and begin to live His way. So, it's like that with the kingdom. So, the new creation is already here. Spiritually speaking, we're already in a new heaven and a new earth. We are at work we're in a new heaven because, um, you know, heaven is open, the veil has been rent, and all of that kind of stuff, and we are at work advancing the kingdom in this earth, making all things new, right? So, I think for the believer, we're already in a new heaven and a new earth. However, I think that that passage, and I've got quite a few reasons for it, and I would need to go into the constellations and all that, because they are in that passage as well. Like, you know that each gate is a, pe has a, is a peril? If you read, you know, people talk about the pearly gates, you know, and it said in Revelation, each gate was like a giant peril, and there was 12 gates. The 12 gates to the Hebrew mind were the 12 constellations of the ages, and the peril is the moon passing through each age, okay? So, um, it's talking about the, the, here is a picture, yes, we're already in a new creation, which I think is what you, the side of it that you would emphasize the most, that the new creation is now, that we're in a new creation and all that stuff, new heavens and new earth, right? So, new heavens and new earth, is that a better way of saying it then? Okay. I believe that, but I think that passage is giving us a picture of the ultimate fullness in the fullness of the ages, when all the saved are gathered in, when God is all in all, and all, you know, when the kingdom has filled all things, you know, that kind of thing? Yes. So, we haven't experienced that yet. We are working towards that. It's almost like it's here spiritually, but uh, um, we need to be co-laborers with God to work it all out, continue until to make all of God's enemies a footstool for His feet, and then the end shall come, and Christ returns, okay? So, I don't, like, is that what you're asking me? Did that answer your question? Oh, right, like, will the old planet blow? Okay, I thought you were saying to me, is the new heaven and new earth literal or symbolic? And you're saying, no, you think it's literal, but you want to know if the old planet blows up and a new planet is created. No, I don't think so. When you became a new creation, did God blow up the old you? Or did he renew you? Okay? So I think the new earth is the earth being renewed. You can, you can make a new earth or you can make the earth new. Okay? So that's what I think. I think... So, I, I would go to the beginning of Colossians and the beginning of Ephesians where it says that his, the plan of all the ages is that all things will be summed up in Christ, that Christ will fill all things, that he will reconcile everything in heaven and earth. I like the way the message puts it. Everything from universes to atoms, you know, shall be 
event. So I think just like we are made new creations and, and God dwells in us, but He's still gradually and ongoingly changing us, that that is a picture of the whole universe. Okay, anything else? Over here. Chris. Oh, good morning. One quick highlight and then a quick question. Mm -hmm. I thought it was very significant when the power went out and you were sp speaking about overlapping ages. Yeah. And I looked at the very top. You could barely see what was written, but it said, this lamp is approaching the end of its useful life in, <laughs> in full power. Replacement suggested is, that is right? what it read across the top. <laughs> so I felt like that was a very prophetic moment. Well, it was. Very I, before you ask your question, yeah. can I just say, I, I actually, I didn't read that. I wish I had. But when it happened, yeah. I thought to myself, all right, am I being prophetically flaky here? Or could this, could this <laughs> moment, the could, there, there's something to this. I didn't, if I'd read that, I'd have picked up on it. The old covenant was dying out like that bulb. Yes, yes. And was about to blow. Yes. Never to be used again. Yes. So covenant replacement yes. was necessary. Exactly. That's right. what I thought. Just okay. a quick question. Many of us as babes in Christ who came in during the Jesus movement era, mm -hmm. era were taught that the prophetic in the Bible is cyclical. It's fulfilled, but God always breathes on it and does a new thing. It never dies. In light of that, the spirits that were influencing Nero and the Gnostics and all of that, do you believe they're still active in the world today in order to push the church to a higher level right. of her destiny okay. in her best days? Yes, but I don't like the way it's often worded. So I don't like saying that the prophecies are cyclical, and I don't like saying there's a double fulfillment of them, right? It's possible. I mean, like, I suppose anything's possible, so it's possible I'm wrong, right? But... And if I am, I'll come back next year and tell you the truth, okay? But at the moment, I don't like that. I don't, because, because then, how many virgin births are we going to have? Because, well, a virgin birth was prophesied. How many messiahs are we going to have? A messiah was prophesied. Do you know what I mean? You end up with all, how many times can prophecies be fulfilled? And so, I don't like it because I think in order to do that, you have to take it out of the context. So, I think there's a truth to it. But I think wording it that way makes it sound like the same prophecy is being fulfilled again and again and again, or twice. Some people just say twice, you know. <clears throat> okay, the temple was destroyed in AD 70, but it will be rebuilt again, and then it will be destroyed again. Well, give me a passage that says that will happen then, okay? Because every passage that says the temple will be destroyed, if you read it in its context, it's not talking about a rebuilt temple, but the one existing. So then to say there's a double fulfillment, I think you have to add words to the prophecy. But this is what I do think. I think there are patterns. I think there is nothing new under the sun, right? So we look at Ecclesiastes, and it says there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that is has been before and will be again. So it's not so much the fulfillment of prophecy. It's not so much that prophecies get fulfilled more than once. It's that the devil doesn't have any new tricks up his sleeve. So he kind of waits until humanity has forgotten a lesson and then he says, let's try this one again. It's kind of like a con artist who, um, uh, let's say there's a con artist that comes to your, your 
home saying that we're selling something, new windows or something like that, but we're not really doing that. We just want your credit card details, right? And you fall for it, and they get their credit cards, their identity is stolen, and I take all the money out of their bank and all of that kind of stuff. And imagine you live next door to them, and they tell you about it. Now, I come next week to try and trick you, but you've, it's too close to it's just happened, right? But if I just wait for a while, if I go and do some other con for a while, and I wait till all the neighbors, he, all the neighbors hear about this, but they, they, he won't forget it, but you'll forget it, because it didn't happen to you. So after a period of time, I can then come back into the area and try the same con again, and people will fall for it. So, for instance, <clears throat> I am absolutely 100% convinced that when the book of Revelation speaks about the harlot Babylon, in its context, it's saying it's talking about Jerusalem being destroyed by the Roman Empire like we looked at and all that stuff. However, right now today, so we've got the, the European Union, which I was like 12 years old when Britain joined the European Union, and we were told that it was going to be a, a trade partnership but we were deceived. It was going to be a political dictatorship where a court in Brussels was going to, that nobody had elected was going to pass laws that we now had to obey. I mean, stupid laws. Do you know in the European Union you're not allowed to buy a straight banana or sell a straight banana? And you're not allowed to sell a curved cucumber. There are laws about how straight the cucumber must be before it's sold. Do you know there's seven, if you make pillow, pillows, cushions, there's 75 different laws you must obey about how that cushion's made. God forbid that anyone has a creative idea to do something in a new way. It's a dictatorship, right? Now, so they built their par parliament, and they have built their parliament to be an exact duplicate of a famous painting of the Tower of Babel. And their stated goal is, where the Tower of Babel failed, we shall succeed it failed to unite people because of the different languages. We will unite people of different languages. And then outside, and, and they say that, they don't hide it, right? And outside of the parliament, they have um, a statue to the European Union, the harlot on the back of the beast. And they call the harlot Europa. And the beast, the political... Now, when Revelation talks about the harlot in the back of the beast, it's not talking about the European Union. When it talks about Babylon, it's not, it's not talking about the Tower of Babel um, in the European Union. It's talking about what happened there. But here is the old con artist up to the same con all over again. I don't call it a double fulfillment of prophecy. I just think there's nothing new under the sun. What has been before, well, is now and it will happen again. Okay? So, there are types and shadows, if you like. So let me put it this way. You could read a story about Jesus healing a blind man and Jesus saying, I shall go and heal him. And that verse might just quicken to you. And you've got a friend who lives down the street who's blind. And as soon as you read that, it leapt off the page and it spoke to you. And you go down with faith and you pray for your blind friend and he gets healed. But that passage inspired you to do that, but it wasn't actually talking about you. It was talking about something that's already happened in the past, but that provided the inspiration for something in the present. Does that help? That's good. That's okay. Up here, there's somebody up the back there. I, I know we need to stop. And I know yeah, we'll take a couple more. 
uh, when you were talking, you were talking about three, three things that still had to happen. One of them was the dead will arise. And I never I said the devil will, will arise. The dead. The dead. Okay, the dead will arise. I don't care if the devil All arises right. or not. Okay, right, okay. Re resurrection, return, final judgment, right? Okay. Right. Well, well, what about it? Why do I, who, I, I'm assuming I'm already in heaven with the Lord. Why do I have to arise from the dead? I don't get it. If you're picturing, I might get myself into trouble here, because I don't picture the resurrection like a lot of people. If you're picturing, has anybody seen that? There's two TV shows on Netflix. There's one called Glitch, and there's another one called The Returned. Have any of you watched those? Oh, well. There's naughty bits in it, but maybe I shouldn't recommend them. But anyway, they're, they're, it's interesting. They're, they're both... Some, I don't know who, they both came out in the same year. Somebody obviously wrote the story first. Industrial espionage took place. And it's like these two TV shows, one in Australia and one in the States, both by different companies, came out at the same time with the same storyline. <laughs> a small town someplace, cut off, you know, surrounded by a rural area, so it's cut off from everywhere else. And one night, all the dead in the graveyard in that town come back to life. Nobody has an explanation. No, I don't mean zombies. I mean, like, wh wh what happened to me? I'm, I'm a normal human. I can eat, I can drink, I can talk, I can interact, but I was dead, right? And so the whole TV show is about that. They, they actually see them climbing out of their graves, but panicking. They're panicking, and they're not like zombies, you know? They're like normal human beings, and they don't understand what's happening. I think a lot of Christians imagine the resurrection like that, bodies literally coming out of graves. I don't think, I, I just don't see it. I mean, like that, first of all, it's weird. And secondly, so what happens if I died in an accident and all of my organs are taken and put in different people's bodies all over the world, then I'm cremated and some of my ashes are scattered here and some are scattered there and some are scattered somewhere else and then a thousand years goes by. So how's my, what grave is my body going to come out of? Or what if my kidneys were donated to you and you're an unbeliever and I'm a believer and Christ suddenly comes back and my body climbs out the grave but I'm missing a kidney and my kidney floats out of your body and goes back into my body and you die now without a kidney. I was just lending you it for a while. No, I, I don't picture it like that at all. I, I just picture it as... A, <clears throat> Right, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I'll tell you what I think, okay? Second Corinthians, I can't remember if it's First Corinthians, I think it's Second Corinthians. Where is it it says it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body in First Corinthians 15. You read First Corinthians 15, it sounds to me like we, if you die before Christ returns, you get your resurrection body instantly. Because Paul also says it's, the Bible talks about this body as being like a tent. Paul talks about it being like a tent. And Peter in 2 Peter talks about it being like a tent. And when we die, we take this tent off. And Paul says it's not that we want to be unclothed with our physical body, but we want to take it off when we die so we can put on our spiritual body. So it sounds to me like, instantly, if I was to die 
and leave my body right now and travel through the little tunnel and here's Jesus at the end, well done, good and faithful servant, come in. Like, I think I'm resurrected, but I am invisible to this world. So I think that when it's the dead shall rise, I don't actually think they're climbing physically. I wouldn't argue with anybody about this, but I don't think they climb out their graves or anything weird like that, or their bodies are chemically reconstituted together or, or whatever. Um, I mean, what happens if a murderer killed you and dissolved your body in acid? I mean, like, and then flushed you down the sewer, you know? Breaking I mean, you're now all, you're, you're all over the world. How, how does your body rise? I don't think it's like that. I think it is a, because I think that's too, thinking too carnal and physical. I think it's more like a spiritual event that takes place. So I think the resurrection of the dead is a moment in time when Christ returns when everyone who was once dead and everyone who is currently alive are all suddenly there together at the same time. Normally there is a veil between the living and the dead and they cannot see each other, but it's like the veil parts and all of a sudden the dead are back with us. And the dead are, the dead are probably thinking, the living are back with us. Because when we died, we went to this side. You know, and then now the curtain has gone. Hello from the other side. And, you, and all of a sudden, there's no two sides. There's just one. That's the way I imagine it, but I, I don't know. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, so this is good. I, this is so awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. 